Thank you, you guys, for leading us in worship. And uh, it's nice to get up here and take this mask off. So I guess I'll make that trade. If anybody wants to preach this morning, you can go without the mask. That's nice. That's one of the advantages. So, well, again, uh, good morning. My name is Lowell. Yeah, we're sending our kids out to Children's Church. Thanks for taking off, kids. Um, open up your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. If you have your Bible or an app or whatever, um, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be there in just a few moments. So again, my name is Lowell, and I get to serve here as the Lord, pa- uh, as the lead pastor, which means I get to open up God's Word and um, teach from that on a regular basis, which is always a joy. Looking forward to it again this morning. And actually, we're starting a new series as we move into the time to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Um, but before we get into that, um, I want to just take a few minutes and just kind of update you on really some family things. Um, first of all, in our, in our earlier service, I was able to introduce uh, two new married couples. And um, I want to just, even though they aren't here today, I do want to just kind of mention them. And they are both, my sons are in town this week with their bride. So that was good to see them and, and be together during Thanksgiving and, and wrestle and all the things that we still do, even though they can easily smash me. Um, but uh, they were here this morning, and um, some of you asked about our daughter, Rachel. So Rachel, who's one of our musicians, uh, she is due to have a baby yesterday, and we don't have one yet, so we're still waiting. So our family is in the midst of a lot of uh, growth and exciting times. Thanks for praying for us. Um, I really appreciate it, and uh, your words of encouragement are always very, very helpful and, and, and just an encouragement. Um, and then beyond our sort of my family, I want to say something about our family, and that is the family of churches that we are connected with. Um, If you are familiar with our past as a church, uh, you know that there are several churches in Berkeley County and the surrounding region that we have a real connection with. Uh, One of them is Independent Bible Church. So I was on staff at Independent Bible Church for uh, 11 years as the youth pastor, and then they sent us here as a, with a team of people to start here in the Spring Mills community to start, in 2000, to start this church in 2008. And I want to ask you to pray for IBC because they're really under a lot of challenge right now with, with the COVID virus. They've had kind of a, you know, several people in their body that have been affected, staff members and so forth. So be praying for them. Again, I don't think they're able to meet this morning. This is, I think, the third week that they've not been able to meet in person. And um, another church that I want to ask you to pray for, and that is uh, a friend of ours, and you may not know this church, but there's a a church in Beckley, West Virginia, pastored by a a very good friend of mine, Chris Smith, and their church as well, they are right now not able to meet because of COVID. And so um, Chris often jumps in and listens to our service, and Chris, we're going to pray for you in just a moment. And then for Fellowship Bible Church, now that's another church we're connected with. So Fellowship is the church that Pastor Billy was on staff with for several years and before he came here to be part of the start of Centerpoint as well. As far as we know, they have not been impacted by at least having to cancel their services yet. Um, Not that we want them to or think that they will, but a lot of churches right now are being impacted by this. I mean, you see it in restaurants and Walmart and everywhere else. You see that everywhere where groups of people typically gather, um, there's a challenge, and churches are are no different. I bring all that up to say, um, number one, to ask you to pray for those bodies that are important to us and connected to us. Secondly, I want to say this. The, the online ministry is very important now. For those that are joining us, we're glad you're with us. We wish you were here in person, uh, but we trust that, that God is going to use His Word in your life. And I want to say that if you experience a, a quarantine time or a COVID uh, positive test or you just got concerns about people in your family, we understand you might need to quarantine for a couple of weeks. Some of our people are doing that right now. 
But I want to encourage you to jump online and be part of the Facebook uh, experience when, when that is happening. We trust that's an encouragement. But I will say, there's nothing like being here in person. It, it's not the same. And um, I look forward to someday just, you know, all this maybe. Well, we know there'll be a day when all this is taken care of. We're even going to look at that really kind of in an indirect way today from God's Word. But as things will lighten up, maybe in the, maybe in the coming weeks, um, it'll be a, that'll be a joy. Let's go together in prayer. So join with me in your heart. Father, it is good to be with your people in spirit or in person. We thank you for the opportunity to be here, and we, we want to be encouraged by your word today. As uh, Pastor Steve already alluded to, it's, it's a challenging time for many, many people across the world. So, Lord, we need you to lift our heads up again and to see um, not just, not only your great control, though it is there, but the great opportunities that are before us of people that are having the support systems of their life knocked out. And so our only hope, our only help is you. It's always been that way. We're just able to find things to convince us otherwise. So thank you, Lord. I thank you for the COVID-19 challenge and the pandemic that it is because I know that you're going to use it to draw people to yourself and to bring glory to yourself. So we thank you for that, Lord. Now we want to go to your word. Lord, would you uh, speak to our hearts? We want to have humble hearts. We want to have hearts that want to hear from you, a spirit that is yielded to you. Lord, challenge our soul that we might worship you today through your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, it's good to have all of my family together. Um, we were able to be together on Thanksgiving Day. I don't know if you were able to do that. Um, again, my daughter, who's expecting a baby any time now, uh, she's there opting to quarantine so they don't get COVID before they deliver. So she was on the outside of our living room, on the out, sort of looking in the window, and the rest of our kids are all inside um, having Thanksgiving dinner together. And um, as a dad, I tell you, it was... Uh, it was an impacting moment because it's the first time that we've been able to be together as a family for, for over a year. And to just sit there and see your, see your children and to see their spouses, and, and it, was, um, it was moving. And it reminded me of our Heavenly Father. It reminded me of His care for us. Because if we can look at our children with love and care, being sinful as we are, how much greater is God's love for us? And I looked at my, looked at my new, uh, these young husbands that were sitting there at the dinner table with me, and I wondered, you know, how much of our marriage did they learn from, and how much did they learn to stay away from, and all those kind of things. You, know, you think about all those things as you, as you see your married children there. And I remembered my own, my own experience as a newlywed couple, my wife and I, um, we were married in 19, oh my, 1990, 1990, yes, and we moved here in 1992, and we had not really had any kind of an experience of, of discipleship prior to that at all, but other than just through our families and, and so forth, but in 1992, we became part of a church, and at that church, we became part of a small group, 
And in that small group, we were told some marriage counsel that I want to share with you now and connect it to our sermon today. We learned something, and listen, I don't care how long you've been married, you need to do what I'm getting ready to tell you, okay? Married for 30 years like me or 30 days like some other people, you need to work this into your marriage. We were taught by another couple, discipled by another couple, to practice what they called couch time. Couch time. Now, here's how it worked. So every day, now, we didn't do it every day, but on a regular basis, Nancy and I would sit down on the couch, you knew that part, right? And for a certain amount of time, so you knew that part as well, we would have our couch time. And what that meant was we would sit down and you had to share two things three times. Two things three times. Now, our children, as they matured, you know, we had four of those little monsters, and no matter their age, they learned that when mommy and daddy are having couch time, you got to stay away. So I can remember our little, you know, three and four-year-olds, they're crying at the end of the couch, you're like, mommy, mommy, and we say, no, we're having couch time, where you share two things three times. Now, for some of you, it's, this is going to be easier than others. For some of you, one of the things is going to be really easy, and the other one's going to be a challenge. But remember, you got to do it three times. And here's what it is. You sit down at the end of the day, as a couple, on the couch, no kids, no TV, no phone, no internet, none of that, just you, and you share what happened to you and how you felt about it. So three things that happened to you that day and how you felt about it. It sounds simple. And it sounds like, oh, that, what would that, what good would that do? Listen, listen, husbands, your wife wants to know what happened to you and how you felt about it. Listen, wives, your husband wants to know what happened to you that day and how you felt about it. And you can even practice with your kids. You can do this with your children if you'd like. So what happened to you and how you felt about it? Now, here's the funny thing about us as humans. Some of us are really good at sharing what happened to us. Some of us are really good at sharing how you felt about it, but rarely you're good at both. You know, we sit down, I know you come home from work, you know, I'll be the husband. You come home from work, it's been a long day, you know, you come in the house and your wife says, so uh, what happened today? And what do you always say? Nothing. Same old thing every day. It's the same old thing. You know, I go to work, I come home, I have lunch, what do you want to know? She wants to know how you felt about it. That's what she wants to know. She wants to know what happened to you today. And how you felt about it. You say, well, I've been at home all day with the kids. There's nothing in my life. You don't understand. Nothing happens in my life. I change diapers. I feed them. I change diapers. I feed them. It's all I do. Sit down with your spouse and share what happened to you and how you felt about it. Now, why in the world am I bringing that up on a Christmas sermon series called Christmas Songs? Here's why. Often in church, often we come together, we open up God's Word, and we talk about what happened. In particular, around the Christmas nativity, around the, the Christmas events, the narrative of the birth of Jesus. We talk about what happened. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. But the truth is, when you read Scripture... And when you read what are identified as the Christmas songs of the narrative, we learn how people felt, how they felt. So what I want to do for the next five weeks 
is I want to look at the Christmas songs, what I've called Christmas songs in the Christmas narratives. Not so much for what happened, although that's certainly part of it, but not exclusively what happened, but also how did the characters of these true stories, how did the, the, those who are going through these events, how did they feel? And then by transference, how should we feel about Jesus coming to the earth? About him becoming an infant and going to the cross for us? Because listen, you are, you are not just about your mind or what events have you gone through. You have feelings and you're made in the image of God. And part of that image of God is you have thoughts and you have feelings and you have a will. You have a mind, you have what we would call a heart, probably more accurate, biblically call it our soul. You have a mind, a soul, and you have actions that you do, a will. And all of those make you up, and they all matter to God. So we want to look at today what happened, and how did those who went through it, how did they feel? And then how should we feel as a result? Because we need to recognize that Christmas is about worship. It's about worship. Now you say, wait a minute. That, that's singing. I thought worship was singing. That's what we just did. We just got done worship. No. That's a misunderstanding of worship. Let me give you a definition of worship. And this, then you'll see why I started where I did. Here's a definition provided by a guy named Warren Wearsby. He's a famous American pastor. I believe he's already passed. But, but he wrote this definition of worship, and it is phenomenal. And you'll see it's not just singing. It's not just songs that we sing. It's much more than that. It's not something you do for 15 minutes when you get here at Centerpoint Bible Church. I mean, come on. If you're quarantined now, if you're watching online, so you're at your house right now. It's a little awkward to sing there all by yourself, or maybe, maybe you and your family. I mean, you can do it, and some of you probably do. But are you telling me since you aren't singing, that means you can't worship? We're made to be worshipers. There's got to be more to it than singing. Worship at its heart, the word means to express the worth of another. Here's how Warren Wearsby defined it. He said, worship is the believer's response of all that they are. All that they are. Their mind, their emotions, their will, their body, it all. It's all offered to God. To what God is, to what He says, to what He has done. This is what worship is. It's, it's a response of our mind it's a response of our soul. That's where your feelings live. It's a response of your mind, your soul, and your strength. That's why Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's saying with all that you are. See, most of us have this problem. And, it, and I don't know if it's a problem, but it's a reality. Most of us in this room, we, are, we, we really like facts. Like, you probably figured this out about me. Like, I... I like facts. I like logic. You might find it strange if you had 10th grade geometry. Remember those two-column proofs that some of you did back in the Stone Ages? They don't do those anymore, by the way. But you remember we used to do those things? I liked those. I like logic. I like if A, then B. 
I like that. I like rules and theorems and, and ideas that I can prove are true. I like logic. Well, feelings, that's a little different than logic. So often, we spend most of our times in the very logical sections of Scripture. Now, those sections have a name. I would throw this at you. This isn't that important. This won't be on the test, okay? But let me, let me give you two words that you probably don't really use very often. I dare say that none of you do. Um, go to the, let's see, go to my slide of didactic. There it is. Say that word with me. Ready? Didactic. You say it in your mask. Go ahead. You'll hear yourself. Didactic. Okay. Didactic sections of Scripture are all about facts and logic. Here's what they do. They instruct the mind with a desired response in our feelings and will. These are sections of Scripture like Romans and Hebrews and much of the Gospels and the book of Ephesians and the narrative books of the Old Testament. Much of them are very didactic. They, they explain things to our mind. They speak to our mind. This is doctrine and truth and logic. And I love this. And maybe you do too. Start with my illustration. This is what happened. Okay? This is what happened. But poetic sections of Scripture are more about affecting the feelings. See, they're affecting our feeling with a desired response in our mind and our will. You see, both sections are calling for our will, for our actions to change, yes. But one instructs the mind, the other instructs the feelings. These are things like Psalms and Proverbs and much of the book of Isaiah. And you're in Luke, right? Go to Luke chapter 1. Let me show you. You can see this. You'll see this. Go to Luke chapter 1. And go with me to verse number 46. Luke chapter 1, verse number 46. This is one of the Christmas passages we're going to look at together over the next five weeks. And what you'll see is it's, it's different. You, can, you immediately see it in Luke chapter 1. I mean, 99.9% .9 of translations show you what I'm referring to now. Look at Luke chapter 1, verse number 46. Now, some of your apps don't show this, but if you have a written Bible, you will see. In Luke 1, 46, what happens from 46 on? What happens to the margins? It's all crazy, right? It's indented left, indented right. It's not left justified. That's a, that's a clue that what you have here is a poetic section of Scripture. It's given in verse form. It's not given in logical sentences. It's not about mind-filling knowledge. It's about heart-wrenching feelings. We often read Scripture for what, about what happened. But God wants us also to wrestle with how do we feel about it. See, here's the reality. If you've been in church for any amount of time, you know that December means the Christmas stories. The Christmas narratives. You know that means we're going to be in Luke 1 and Matthew 2. And you're like, okay, here we go. Joseph to Bethlehem. All right, I can get through it one more time. And that's kind of the attitude we get about it. Listen, that's a misunderstanding. I've been pastoring for 23 years. So 23 times I've gone through the Christmas season. I don't, I don't want to fill our mind with facts about the Christmas narrative. I want to challenge how do we feel about it. How do you feel about the fact that Jesus came to earth and why he did it and what it means? 
Because I want us to worship this year during Christmas. And worship is mind, soul, and spirit, and strength. It's what I think. It's what I feel. It's what I do. So imagine your spouse wrote this letter to you. You ready? Ready, ladies? This is your husband, boyfriend, something. He wrote you this. Dear you, I'm looking out the window. I noticed some flowers out there. Some of them are kind of crimson in color, sort of. And then there's some others, and they're different. Like they're kind of bluish, maybe purple, like the color of lavender in a way. Yeah, I sure do like dessert. I mean, especially like chocolate. That is some good eating. And, oh, and by the way, I like you too. What, what would you, you'd be like, what is this, what is wrong with this guy, right? But what if he said this? Dear you, roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. Same facts, folks. Same facts. But the second, you know, cliche little poem means more. Why? Because it's in lyrical form. It's in verse form. It's about your feelings. You read that, you're like, oh, he thought about how the roses were red, and then he thought of me. And the violets are blue, and sugar's sweet, and so am I. See, it's, it's speaking to our feelings. When you guys see these sections of Scripture where, where there's indentation all over the place, okay, this is a poetic expression of God's Word. We don't read it for facts, per se. Oh, there are facts there that are true. But they're really the reflection of someone's heart. And they're showing us the feelings that we should have so that we might worship. Our song for today, though, is not found in Luke 1. It's not found in Matthew 2. It's found in that familiar Christmas passage of Revelation chapter 5. Now, that's, a, that's like a biblical joke, okay? Revelation 5 is not a familiar Christian, uh, Christmas passage. But go to Revelation chapter 5, okay? Revelation chapter 5. That's where we're going to be today. And I want you to see that this is actually a Christmas song. This is actually a Christmas poem. Now, you might be familiar with the book of Revelation. You might not. It doesn't really matter. I will tell you this. It's about the end of things as we know it. It's not about the end of the world. It's not about the end of the earth. It's about the end of things as we know it. Because there's going to be a day where everything is going to change. Everything is going to change. And that's what the book of Revelation is laying out for us in a very logical pattern. It shows us what is going to happen. So much of the book of Revelation is didactic, okay? It's, and you'll notice it's left justified. It's just going through and telling us this and this and these facts. But there are a few sections that are indented strangely because they're poetic. They're not giving us facts per se, not alone, not exclusively. They're speaking to how the person who's expressing this felt, how they felt. And I want us to be challenged in how we feel about Jesus coming to the earth so that we can worship him in a greater way. Now, I want to take the time to read this because it is God's word. It's more important than anything that I have to say. So follow along on your copy if you have it. If you don't, just pay attention and, and go with me. 
I'm in Revelation chapter 5. It's the very last book of your Bible. On my, my Bible, it's page 1,894. It's near the end. And I'm going to have at verse number 9, I'll jump in on the screen so you can see the actual song that is being sung here. But I'll read verses 1 through 8 so you get the context. So follow along 1 through 8 with your ear, and then follow along 9 through 14 with your eye. John writes this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he, being a lamb, went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Notice it's a new song. And they said, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads. And thousands of thousands, and saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Now, folks, this is a Christmas song. We probably aren't going to sing it. And I, as you can already tell, probably when I say Christmas song, I don't mean amazing, or I'm sorry, Away in a Manger, Silent Night, or The Little Drummer Boy. I'm not referring to those types of songs. I'm talking about poetic forms of Scripture that inform us of the coming of Jesus. And for every one of our songs that we're going to study, it's going to be very important for us to understand the context. Context is still key. 
So let's talk through that a little bit so we can understand what these passages are driving at. This song of heaven, what it is that we're supposed to understand. First of all, the setting. The setting. Now, the setting is the time and the place. And this is so important for this song. You've you got to understand the setting or none of this is going to make sense. The setting, as we already saw, is the throne room of God. It is heaven where God metaphorically sits. Now, why do I say metaphorically? Because God is a spirit. God is invisible. You can't see him. But, the, but John saw this throne where God sits and rules. So we are in the throne room of God where God is ruling. That's part of the setting. But the second part of the setting is very important, maybe even more important to understand, and it's this. When is this happening? When? Folks, this has not happened yet. The events we just read have not occurred yet. Oh, God is in his throne room. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, Hebrews chapter 1. But this event has not happened. It's coming in the future. It's coming in the future. Listen, it could happen a thousand years from now, or it could happen today. It could happen before the service ends, or it could happen tomorrow, or in hundreds of thousands of years. We don't know when it's going to happen, but we know it's going to happen. And God, in His grace, took the Apostle John and allowed him to have this temporary glimpse into the future throne room of God. It's happened a few times. It happened to Isaiah, it happened to Ezekiel, and it happened to John. And there before John was this sort of whole scene worked out that he could see what happened. That our worship today would be informed. And God had John write it down and record it for us, protected by the Holy Spirit. Now flashed forward 2,000 years to us today so we can read it. And have our minds enlightened, to have our hearts melted and our lives Really, our lives, that is, submitted to Christ. So that's the, the setting, the time and the place. The throne room of God, sometime in the future, guaranteed to happen. We just don't know when. Okay, the characters. You've got to understand the characters. See, context really matters. Who, who's, who's playing out this sort of, you know, this act in front of us? Well, first of all, you have the narrator. That's John. He's the guy that wrote it down. He plays very little part in this, but he does have a small part. He's the weeper, okay? He's there watching this. He's over, overwhelmed with emotion by what he sees. I want to be overwhelmed by emotion by what I see in this passage. I want us to be overwhelmed like John was. So you have John. He's one of the characters. Another one of the, the important people in this, this scene is God the Father. He's there. God is there, as is God the Son. Now, he's depicted in a strange way as a lamb. We'll talk about that in just a minute. And then you have these, these other beings. We've got angels numbered in the myriads of myriads. The word myriad is a Greek word. It means tens of thousands. So it's tens of thousands of tens of thousands. What's 10,000 times 10,000? Big number, I know that. And thousands of thousands, and the four living creatures. These are all angelic beings that God has made as worshipers that are there in front of Him all the time worshiping. Now and into the future. 
Then we have these 24 elders. Now, you might know the term elder. It, it can mean an older person. They're called an elder. But in the church arena, when we're talking about the church, elders are those that God has specifically called to lead in the church. So these 24 elders I take to mean this is representing the church. You know what? I think you will be there. If you're in Christ, I believe that you will be here at this scene. I think you will see this live, real time. After the rapture, when you are in the presence of God, I believe you will be there as a, as a part of this ceremony. You will be there. And perhaps you'll remember this day when we talked about how it would feel and you'll know then. You'll be like, Lord, you were right. That's just how it felt. Or you might say, man, you totally missed it. That's not how it felt at all. I don't think so. The feelings are pretty clear here. So that's who the characters are. Now let's talk about the plot. The plot. So John is, is, is placed in this, this environment where he can see the throne room of God. Okay? We know this is in the future. You can read in Revelation chapter 4, verse number 1, why I'm putting this in the future. You can get it in the context there. And there's this scroll that is brought there in front of John. And John knows what it is. It's like, it's like he can understand what it is. It's a rolled up piece of paper. You can think of it that way, okay? You can picture it that way, a rolled up piece of paper. It's got all these seals on the outside, seven of them. And what that means is it's proven that it hasn't been tampered with. It hasn't been opened, okay? And in order to break that seal, you need to open that seal, you have to be qualified. You have to be qualified to break those seven seals, to unroll this scroll. Well, what's on the inside? I mean, why is it so important? Why do we want to know what's inside of this scroll? Because on the inside of this scroll is God's plan for wrapping up the earth as we know it. Bringing all that's happening here on this planet for 6,000 years plus, for all the things that have ever happened the scroll contains God's plan to wrap all that up and to make it all make sense. That's what's inside the scroll. So John knows that, and John wants it open. He said, please, open the scroll. I'm living it. I mean, understand, John is right now, when he writes this, he's on the island of Patmos, under, really is there as a, as a, as a punishment for being a Christian. So his whole life, you think your life is impacted by COVID. His life is impacted by the Roman emperor. And he wants to know that all this is going to work together in a plan of God. And it's on that scroll. And he knows. No human is allowed to open that because none of us are perfect. Who can open this scroll? Only God could open that scroll. And so he cries. <coughs> who is worthy? And he's weeping. Who is worthy? Jump into verse number five. One of the elders, one of the, one of the redeemed people, one of, one of this person representing the church who understand what God has done. He steps up to John. He says, weep no more. Weep no more. Behold, Behold means look, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered so he can open the scroll 
and it's seven seals. And now I get into John's skin. And the elder says, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I'm thinking, a lion. Yes, a lion. Root of David, King David. He, he was the greatest king of Israel's history ever. Yes, a conqueror. As John is thinking about what he's being pointed to. It's going to be this ruling one, this mighty warrior. You know, he's going to, he's going to be just, just, just the man. The sword maybe, a, a shield, I don't know. But he's going to be a warrior, a conquering warrior, a lion. And he looks. He doesn't see a lion. He doesn't see a conqueror. He doesn't see a warrior. What's he see? He sees a lamb. There among the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing. And it's worse than a lamb. It's not just a lamb. As though it had been slain. You know how you slay a lamb in the year 75 A.D., somewhere thereabout, that John wrote this? You take a big old rough knife and you slice its throat is what you do. So there's this one that, that John's been pointed to that's going to conquer, that's going to win, that's going to open the scroll. And he sees a lamb looking as if it had been slain. And folks... That's why it's a Christmas passage. That's why. See, we want a conqueror. We want a ruler. We want the Lion of Judah. We want the, the Root of David. We want this one to come and, and rule. But we have a problem. If he comes in that form alone, he's got to wipe us out. We are the enemy of the conqueror. We are the enemy of the Lion. So he comes as a lamb first to deal with our sin. And the elders understand that. The church understands that. John didn't fully get that at this point. The elders understand it. My sin had to be dealt with. The elders have had the full New Testament with Romans with all of its didactic teaching. Filling their minds of understanding of the Lamb of God. They had Hebrews that talked about the Lamb. They know. So they get it. Do you? Do you? So this climactic moment when the, when the Lamb is revealed. Now let's jump down to the song, okay? We can finally get to the song. We understand what's happening, okay? We saw all this climax, this heartbreaking reality. The lamb was slain. By the way, what did it do? The slain, la the slain lamb walks across the room and grabs the scroll. So he's alive. So verse number 9, there's a song that breaks out. Now I take verse number 9, that first song, to be sung by the elders. Just incidentally. You never find a place in Scripture where angels actually sing. Look for it. It's kind of interesting. We all think they sing all the time, but and in reality, I don't, I don't, Scripture doesn't describe them as doing that. Here's somebody singing. I think it's us, folks. 
I think the elders represented us. And we're singing there. So warm up here in church, okay? Because there'll be a day we're going to sing. We're going to sing there with God. And I want you to, I, I don't want us to look at what the song teaches our minds. I want to see where does it, what does it drive our soul to feel? Okay? The first thing I want us to feel is feel God's rule. Feel God's rule. Like a ruler, feel his rule. Look at verse number nine. The song breaks out. The elders are singing this and they sing, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. Now you take everything we've looked at in the first eight verses, all the context, now you've got the weight of that statement. Now you know why this is such a weighty truth that God's rule is being felt here. Nobody else was, was worthy of breaking the seal, but Jesus is. The lamb is. I mean, what makes him worthy to open up the scroll that lays out how God is going to wrap up all of the earth? What makes him worthy? Well, Hebrews 1 tells us that Jesus created the world. Hebrews 1, 2 says that Jesus created the world. And Hebrews 1, 3 says that he upholds the universe by simply through his strength. He upholds the universe. And 1, 4 says that he's seated at the right hand of God. This is Jesus. And he rules over all things. So because of God's rule, when we feel it, when we feel God's rule, we can have peace. But no matter what comes, no matter what comes your way, be it COVID, be it a child that breaks your heart, a marriage that breaks your heart, a job that breaks your heart, whatever it might be, you can have peace. You can feel peace. Because of God's rule. He's ruling. But it goes on. Worthy of you to take the scroll and open its seals. Let's see what else allows us to trust his rule. It says, for you were slain. So these elders are singing about the lamb. He is slain. He is slain. We can, feel, we can know for sure that we're loved. Because when we were at our worst, Jesus died for us. That's what this passage is driving at. This is sometime in the future. Again, it might be this afternoon. It might be in a thousand years. But people will still be singing praises of God because he was slain for sins and slain for sinners. And that's where God's rule is shown. That his own son is qualified to go to the cross and bring us victory, conquering death. The lamb rules as conqueror. Though looking as if he was slain. And then it says this. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people. See that word ransomed? Okay, let's, let's see what this, how this should make us feel. Ransomed is a slavery word. It was a word that was used in the slave market. And what it meant, it, meant to, it was the price that was required to purchase a slave. And all the ugliness of what that has meant in human history. That's what it meant. That's what it means. So feel all that ugliness. Feel it from history. 
But what this is telling us is that every human being ever, including you and me, we were born slaves to sin. Slaves to sin. But the cost of our redemption, the price to break the shackles of slavery to sin was Jesus. How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? It should make you feel humility. He died for me. My slavery is, it, it cost Jesus life. It should make you feel worship. It should make you feel thankfulness. It should make you feel grateful for the sacrifice of Jesus. That he did this for me. It should overwhelm you, honestly, with a, a sense of guilt over your shim, sin, guilt over your sin, but a release and joy over the loss of your shame. That's where this is driving us. But not just you. Not just you. See, this should make us feel overwhelmed with gratefulness that this is for everybody. Look what it says. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God. Who? Special people? People like you? People the same color as you? People from the same country as you? People that speak the same language as you, maybe? No. No. People for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The, the elders are singing this song, and they're saying, this is for everyone, that God is large enough to love all. God is large enough to love all. You know who can't love all? Puny people. That's who can't love all. Puny people love people like them only. God loves all. That's how large he is. It's not limited to, to nation or limited to people or limited to language or, or limited to tribe. It's not limited to those things. Feel God's rule. Feel it today. Don't just know it. I suspect you could probably pass a multiple choice test on Christmas. I suspect that you, you, you'd get every true and false question correct. You'd probably do okay on the essay, right? Well, this is about how we feel. Feeling the weight of God's rule and His love and grace that He came. Just moving along, jumping down to verses 11 and 12. No, I'm sorry, verse number 10. Now, what, what's happening now? Verse number 10, we're going to marvel what is coming. Marvel over what is coming. See, verse number 10 has not happened yet. Look at it. Look at verse number 10. It hasn't happened yet. This has not occurred yet. This is future. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. That hasn't happened yet. That's what's coming. There's coming a redemption of all of the children of God. What does that mean? That means that there is coming a time when all of God's creation, all of His sons, all of His daughters are going to be gathered up into a kingdom. What is a kingdom? It's a gathering of people. It's going to be a kingdom of priests. What's a priest? A priest is someone who has access to God. 
So we have a horizontal connection with all these sons and daughters of God who are redeemed through the work of Jesus, and we are all vertically connected to God. That's what is coming. Marvel over that. That one day you will gather with every believer of all of time, and you will stand there in one group, worshiping God, horizontally connected with one another, so you'll look across the room and you'll see that lady that you had a falling out with. You'll see that guy that you had, you know, exchanged words with that day at 7-Eleven. And they happen to be believers. And all that bitterness is gone. Horizontal, all that is healed. All those horizontal relationships are great, are, are fine, are, are, are redeemed. And you're there. Vertically worshiping the Father. And what, what are you doing? Well, that's described now in 11 through 14. Let's just look at the words of their song. By the way, before I, no, I want to mention this. The worshipers are now multiplied. Look at verses 11 and, well, 11. It says that now joining these elders, joining these elders are angels. Numbering myriads and myriads. That's a lot of angels. It's an infinite number of angels, innumerable number of angels. that You, you couldn't count them. And they're all there, along with these creatures that have been created as worshipers. And now they're saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Worthy was the Lamb who was slain. Now, before we were marveling what's coming, now we're rejoicing over what God has done. Rejoicing over what God has done, that the Lamb was slain for sins. And in verse 13, something happens that that we can't miss. John writes, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. You, you can't, he's trying to broaden it now to, to no limits, all, all creatures. And they're saying this, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Now, what I won't, don't want you to miss here is who all was doing this in verse number 13. Every creature in heaven and on earth. Some of these creatures have been doing this since the moment they existed. And they continue to worship this infinite rejoicing. Can I just challenge you? Your boredom in your Christianity, your, your boredom in hearing these truths over and over and over that you feel, listen, it's not valid. It's not valid. Your boredom is, it's not a function of how much you know. Your boredom is a function of how little you're feeling. Your boredom comes from not feeling what we should feel over what God has done. I suppose that there might be a limit of the knowledge that we could gain from the Bible, I suppose. I don't know. Maybe we could write down every single fact and maybe we could, if we had a giant head, we could memorize all the facts, right? Maybe, I don't know. But there is no limit to the infinite nature of God and there is no limit to the infinite feeling that we can have in response to His grace. And that's how we continue to worship into all of eternity. 
And that's what makes this a Christmas passage. Because we have a resurrected lamb. In order to be resurrected, you had to die. In order to die, you had to live. In order to live, you had to be born. So there we are. It's a Christmas song. It's a Christmas song that informs our soul so we can worship Him. Not just now, but into eternity. Understanding that our worship is mind, feeling, will, and actions. The whole man. So, three things I'll just throw at you to, to think about, okay? First of all is this. As you look at your life of following Christ, I hope that you're in Jesus today. I hope you've recognized the, the redemption that Jesus has offered, but he forces it on no one. We must respond to his act of grace. But I ask you this question. Is God impacting your whole person? Your whole person. Is your, is your mind enlightened? Is your heart being melted? And is your life released to Him? God doesn't just want your mind. No. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that knowledge puffs up. <laughs> Careful with knowledge. An enlightened mind without a heart melted is dangerous for you and your eternity. God wants the whole person. Secondly, this, how can you and yours, whatever, whoever they may be, how can you make Christmas this year an increasing response of worship, okay? Like increasing, not like, oh, here we go again. Yeah, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, okay. No, how, how can we increase this worship? And that drives to the third question. Suppose... Suppose that you and I were sitting, it's, it's Wednesday of this week, upcoming. You and I are sitting at the coffee shop somewhere, and you say, to this, you say this to me, Lowell, my love for God is waning. I just, I don't feel it. Tell me, pastor, what, what do I do? What do I do? Because after all, I just said, I want to see our worship increasing in the next month. So what do you do if your love for God is waning? Okay, well, I've got, I've got some scripture for you. It's this. God makes a promise to you in James 4. This is his promise. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. If you draw near to God, He would draw near to you. Now, careful. I did not say if you draw near to truth about God, to facts about God, to doctrinal expressions of God. There are people that know doctrine and don't love God. Draw near to God as the personal relationship that He wants with you and he draws near to you. you. Say, well, how do I do that, pastor? How do I do that? You go to God's word. 
and you let your mind be enlightened. You let your feelings be drawn into what God has done. And let your life be, be submitted to Him, released to His control. This is what God calls us to as we look on the incarnation, the lamb, the lion. Not just facts that we know. No. Now, we do need facts. Don't get me wrong. But not exclusively. He also calls for our feelings of understanding and what he's done. Well, thanks for your attention today. And I, I want to pray for us as a body. So, so come with me in prayer. Father, you are our Father. Lord, thank you for that. We are grateful. We live in peace that you are controlling all things, that you are ruling. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be dismayed. We can trust you with all of our heart. We don't lean our understanding. Lord, thank you for that kind of love that you have for us. May we be overwhelmed with love for you, loving you with all of our mind, soul, and strength. Lord, continue to draw us deeper into you. We pray for us as a body, Lord, that you would allow December to be a time of great worship, that you would inform our minds of your great truths, but also challenge our hearts. And then, Lord, give us opportunity to point people to you so that our actions show that we're being impacted by you. We pray this through Jesus and because of Jesus. Amen. Hey, I just want to say a thank you to those that have kind of decorated this room. I want to encourage you to ride by here at night, by the way. Uh, make sure you ride by. It is beautiful out here. The whole, all the trees are lit up, and it looks really nice. And all this is leading towards something, and that is we want to encourage you. I think I've got one here. It's over there. Use one of those invitations and invite somebody out to the candlelight service on December 24th. We're going to have two of them, 5.30 and 7 o'clock. Children's, children's ministries will be available at 5.30. We would love for you to invite many, many, many people who are searching for truth. Many don't know where to go, but they need truth. And so point them in the direction of Jesus. All right? Hey, wipe down the seat before you go. And with that, you will be dismissed.